There are a lot of myths, mysteries, and misunderstandings surrounding hypnosis. But does hypnosis work? Can it really help you feel better or change your habits? Let's take a look at the science behind it. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm Dr. Jade Wu, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. You may remember the scene from Jordan Peele's 2017 movie, Get Out, where Chris, the main character, gets hypnotized by his girlfriend's mom. All she does is swirl a spoon around her teacup, and Chris falls into the sunken place, where his consciousness becomes a viewer of his own life, but he has no control over his body. The hypnosis apparently cures him of smoking. In case you haven't seen Get Out, I won't spoil the movie by telling you the more sinister things that happen the next time Chris is hypnotized. Let's just say that I became a little wary of spoons and teacups after seeing this movie. In our popular imagination, hypnosis runs wild. In the 1800s, Edgar Allan Poe wrote a story in which a mesmerist kept a dying person alive through hypnosis. Many thought the fictional story was an actual medical case study. More recently, movie plots involving hypnosis have ranged from the horrific, like in The Exorcist, to the hilarious, like in Zoolander, where Derek Zoolander is programmed through hypnosis to assassinate a prime minister at a fashion show. But is hypnosis actually possible? Can you put someone into an altered state of mind and get them to do things they otherwise would not do? Let's take a look at some questions about hypnosis today. I'll share the science and psychology behind what hypnosis can and cannot do. We'll see that hypnosis is a very real phenomenon in the brain. Hypnosis could be a useful form of therapy for decreasing pain and stress, but you should be aware of hypnosis that aims to recover repressed memories. Hypnosis is not brainwashing, and it cannot get you to do things that are totally against your will. And some people are more hypnotizable than others, which may depend on our childhood experiences. Let's dive in with question number one. Is hypnosis real? First, let's define what we mean by hypnosis. As we understand it right now, hypnosis is a state of mind where your attention is hyper-focused, your awareness is detached from your surroundings and parts of yourself, you're highly suggestible, meaning you're prone to believe what you're told, and you're more prone than usual to respond to instructions. What hypnosis is not, it's not sleep. It's not brainwashing that permanently changes your mind or your personality or beliefs. It's not a way for your consciousness to enter another place outside of yourself. It's not an episode of complete amnesia or a way to wipe your memory. And it is not a state where you can have superhuman strength or abilities that you didn't already otherwise have. Sorry. In other words, hypnosis does not give you anything you didn't already have, and it does not take anything concrete away. It's simply a state of highly focused attention that makes you seem zoned out, even though you're actually extremely tuned in. And this state is associated with real changes in the brain. Researchers have identified three major brain networks that are involved in hypnosis, and they all have something to do with attention. So for example, a functional MRI study found that during hypnosis, 
dorsal anterior cingulate cortex activity is muted. This area of the brain is part of what scientists call the salience network. It's critical for attention control and specifically for vigilance about what we should pay attention to versus what we should ignore based on the overall context of the situation. The fact that its activity in this brain area is decreased during hypnosis means that the brain is not scanning for possible alternatives for our attention. Rather, it's letting us tune out everything except for the one thing we're hyper-focused on. There are other brain changes during hypnosis too, such as less connectivity between the executive network, which is akin to the CEO of the brain, and the default mode network, which is a network in the brain that kind of wanders when there's no specific task to do. Altogether, these networks and their activity during hypnosis are painting a picture of hypnosis as a state of mind that's very different from sleeping, resting, or going about our daily business. So the short answer is yes, hypnosis is real. But don't worry, it is not the sunken place. All right, so now that we know hypnosis is real, question number two is, can it be used for good? In this 2015 episode of America's Got Talent, a hypnotist puts Judge Howie Mandel in a trance in front of a live audience and, you know, a national TV audience and gets Howie, who has a phobia of shaking hands, to shake hands with all of the other judges. Even an audience member falls under the spell when the hypnotist says, sleep. Is this just a cool party trick, or did this performer just open the door to treating someone's phobia? While in fact, medical hypnosis is used in a therapeutic context for a wide range of clinical purposes, from easing pain to decreasing anxiety, and sometimes as a way to minimize side effects from other medical treatments. So for example, a large review study found that medical hypnosis can help to ease pain, fatigue, and emotional distress for women who are undergoing or recovering from breast cancer treatment. It has also been shown to help with chronic pain, particularly for those with chronic migraines. It can even help reduce the symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome a chronic gastrointestinal condition that causes frequent and sometimes unpredictable diarrhea, abdominal pain, and other GI symptoms, which really sounds like it sucks. So if hypnosis can help, that's awesome. However, we should know that hypnotherapy's effects are not huge and not consistent in all situations. In studies of hypnosis for easing pain, for example, there are no reliable effects when it comes to childbirth pain. Sorry, moms, other than somewhat reducing the use of pain medications during labor, but not reducing the use of epidurals. The good news is that medical hypnosis does not seem to have any dangerous side effects. This is why researchers generally refer to medical hypnosis as a complementary therapy, meaning that it can be helpful in addition to regular treatments and it doesn't hurt to try, but it should not replace standard treatment for a physical illness. For psychological problems, there are even less consistent and less impressive results, and the quality of the studies I could find on this topic did not really live up to my sniff test. Even more importantly, 
Authorities like Mayo Clinic warn that using hypnosis to work through trauma, for example, may do more harm than good because it can actually create false memories. The take-home message is this. Hypnosis may be useful as a tool to decrease pain and stress in the moment, but we should not rely on it for treating physical or psychological problems. Usually, Treatment requires the hard work of changing behaviors, taking medications, doing exercises, or building true self-awareness. Being put into an altered attention state is a shortcut that probably won't be enough to help a patient in the long run. Question number three, can hypnosis get me to do things I don't want to do? I think that's probably the number one question on a lot of people's minds when they're feeling kind of suspicious about hypnosis. Because if a stage performer can get Howie Mandel to go against his phobia and shake everyone's hand, does that mean you or I can be hypnotized on TV and made to, say, squawk like a chicken in front of millions? Well, most experts agree that someone who does not want to be hypnotized cannot be hypnotized against their will. Because hypnosis is not brainwashing, like we talked about earlier, but rather a state of hyper-focus, it's unlikely that a hypnotist can get you to do something that's completely outside of your normal range of behaviors, even if you are more open to suggestion. For example, Howie Mandel was hypnotized to shake hands. An action that he had done many times before, but at some point learned to associate with anxiety. Now, planting that hypnotic suggestion to get him to behave in a way that's counter to his current anxiety is not the same thing as if he was made to, say, suddenly perform an act of violence that he had never done before, like in Zoolander. So don't worry, you won't be walking down the street running into some hypnotist and be put under his spell and made to do something really embarrassing. Now, what about the flip side? Question number four, can hypnosis help me change my behaviors? So what about using hypnosis for changing unhelpful behaviors? Instead of getting someone to do embarrassing or unethical things, can we harness hypnosis to promote good behaviors? Well, I wouldn't hold my breath. For example, have you heard of anyone swearing up and down that one session of hypnosis got them to quit smoking cold turkey? Well, I have. I had a quit smoking treatment group that I was leading. So the group member who shared that hypnosis was the one thing that has worked for him was, in fact, at the group session because he was smoking again. He said that his experience with hypnosis was almost magical. They made him throw out all of his cigarettes, lighters, and ashtrays before going into the hypnosis treatment room. Then they conducted the hypnosis on him, and voila, he didn't even feel any urge to smoke anymore. Until he did, of course. And someone else in the group said, wait a minute, they made you throw out all of your smoking-related stuff? Maybe that's what actually worked, because I know that if I even allow myself half an emergency pack to be lying around, I'll definitely give in to temptation. And I think this second person was onto something. For some, hypnosis for quitting smoking does feel like a magical moment. But when we zoom out from anecdotal data, we see from large-scale studies that there is no good evidence showing hypnosis to be better than other methods or than placebo for quitting smoking. 
The research on this topic is mostly not of good quality, so the jury may still be out. But as of 2019, the best conclusion we have is that even if hypnosis has any benefit for quitting smoking, it's a tiny one. So, unfortunately, I'm sorry again, there is no easy way to quitting smoking besides hard work and social support. Okay, now we know hypnosis is real and we know what it can be used for or what it cannot do. But the burning question that I had in my mind, and question number five here, is can anyone be hypnotized? Turns out some people are more hypnotizable than others. Scientists have developed several tests to assess a person's susceptibility to hypnosis. Two of the most well known ones are the Stanford Scales and the Harvard Group Scale. In these tests, a trained professional conducts a hypnotic induction on you and then suggests increasingly difficult tasks from closing your eyes to hallucinating that you're flying until the most difficult, experiencing temporary amnesia. How many of these tasks you do under hypnosis generates a score for how hypnotizable you are. How do you think you would do on this test? Well, some characteristics tend to set highly susceptible individuals apart. For example, people with dissociative disorders are more hypnotizable than people with other types of psychological disorders and people without any disorders. This makes sense because part of the hypnosis experience is temporary dissociation from your normal experience of attending to your surroundings. But for those with dissociative disorders, feeling detached from reality, from themselves, and in extreme and rare cases, having multiple identities is a frequent experience even when they're not under hypnosis. These disorders are often related to having a history of trauma, and particularly complex childhood trauma. But those with dissociative disorders are not the only ones who are susceptible to hypnosis. If you are prone to fantasizing, like losing yourself in a vivid daydream, having very physical responses to imagery, and having been particularly imaginative in childhood, you may also be very hypnotizable. Now, have you tried hypnosis before? What was your experience like? I would love to hear about them. Let me know on social media. You can find me on Facebook and on Twitter. I'm at QDTSavvyPsych or at JadeWooPhD. And let me know how it went. And also let me know what other topics you're dying to hear about. Stay tuned for next week. We're going to talk about how to cope with cyberbullying. Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg and edited by Karen Hertzberg. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you next week for a happier and healthier mind.